We're in Judges chapter 5, continuing the song of Deborah. So Judges chapter 5. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth, the earth shook. The heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, and the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart, my heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the, vo- at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of his villagers in Israel. Then, then the people of the Lord went down to the city gate and said, wake up, wake up, Deborah, wake up, wake up, break out into song. Arise, Barak, take captive your captive son of Abinoam. The remnant of the nobles came down. The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why? Why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced fields. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they took no plunder of silver. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought 
against Sisera. The river of Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river of Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping go his mighty steeds. Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water. She gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the worker's hammer. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. And at her feet, he sank. He fell. There he lay. At her feet, he sank. He fell where he sank. There he fell dead. Through the window peered Sisera's mother behind the lattice. She cried out, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answer her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man, colorful garments as plunder for Sisera. Colorful garments embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this is plunder. So may your enemies perish, Lord. But, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace 40 years. Amen. Thanks so much, uh, Heather. I don't know whether you've noticed this. There are two groups of people who sing even when they're hopeless at singing. (laughs) Football fans and Christians. Now, if you'll forgive me, I wrote that last week. That wasn't me sitting there on Monday night thinking, gosh, they feel sound rubbish. You know, it, it, that wasn't quite what I had in mind. But believe me, I've been in the odd church gathering, you know, next to somebody who is completely tone deaf, and they're still going for it. And that's just as it should be. Two groups of people who sing even when they can't sing, football fans and Christians. As it happens, I'm both of those. And I've noticed that football fans, they, they basically sing for two reasons. They sing to point out that their team is winning and the other team is losing. Hence the lyrics, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, and other sort of you know, really profound uh, concepts. Uh, it's basically to say, we're winning, you're losing. The other time football fans start up is... It's kind of when things aren't going quite so well. You know, the team look a bit tired, a bit weary, and a song will start up to try and encourage them to keep going and keep persevering. Football fans sing to celebrate that they're winning and to encourage the team in times that are difficult. And I hope something like that will happen tonight. 
I hope there'll be a mood of celebration. Judges 5 comes after the, on the back of a, a win, a triumph in battle. I hope there'll be a mood of celebration. But I hope also it will be an encouragement, an encouragement for those who've arrived this week feeling weary, wondering how to put one foot in front of the other, wondering how to keep living for Jesus. Because my hope is that Judges chapter 5 will help us with a, a dilemma that I kind of ended with on Sunday evening. On Sunday evening, we ended with this question. How do we really enter into Jesus' victory? How do we live as though Jesus won rather than just giving the impression we're slightly defeated? How do we live post-victory rather than pre-victory when we're still in slavery? And it seems to me that praise is incredibly useful in that. Praise reminds us that we're on the winning side. Praise reminds us of Jesus' triumph. Sometimes that will need to start with the discipline of praise, a conscious decision, I'm going to praise the Lord. On other occasions, that will then just turn into spontaneous praise. I'm so thrilled by who he is that I just want to sing and worship him. And so we're going to learn to praise tonight. But let's be honest, of all the songs to learn, this is a relatively strange one. I suspect if I'd conducted a survey in the queue as you came in, what's your favorite song in the Bible? My guess is we'd have ended up with a sort of smattering of psalms or maybe the songs in Revelation. I'm not sure Judges 5 is getting into the top 10. (laughs) Not unless you're a fan of unusual uses of tent pegs. By the way, I do hope the campers slept well last night. You know, I... (laughs) But I am convinced this is important, because we're going to see a couple of particular reasons we should praise that I don't think we reflect on very often. And so this is a song that should enrich our praise, that will both enable us to celebrate and will keep us going in times that are tough. And if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, it's so good to have you. You're actually the audience we're going to see as we get into this song. Last night, we saw Deborah, Barak, and Jael win the battle over Sisera and the Canaanites, and here they're reflecting on it. Here they celebrate, and they celebrate by singing to the world. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed the audience for this song? A few things are directed to the Lord, but you get this in verse 3. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. In other words, the audience of this are kings and rulers. It's not Israel. It's the world around is invited to listen to Deborah's song of celebration. Or you get something similar in verse 10. You who ride on white donkeys sitting on your saddle blankets as you walk along the road. Consider the voice of the singers. And yeah, that's probably a reference to the merchants who were passing through, hoping that these merchants will overhear the songs of Israel and learn about the true 
God. In other words, this isn't a song for Christians alone to hear. This is a song for the whole world. And so if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, this is a song addressed to you. You might want to imagine yourself as a king and a ruler for the evening. This is coming to you. But in passing, isn't this a great lesson for those of us who are Christians? It seems to me that evangelism and mission is at its best when it's not that kind of clenched, I've got to talk about Jesus. But it's the overflow of praise. I'm thrilled by God and all that he has done, and I just want to talk about it. I just want that praise, as it were, to overflow to the world. And maybe this song will help us to get into that position. So we can imitate Deborah, listen, all the world around, listen as I praise the Lord. Now, truth be told, it's not the most structured of songs. It's not the easiest of songs to you know, break into nice, neat sections. But let's be fair, Deborah and Barak had had a busy day. And they probably weren't thinking of the poor soul having to preach in it in Keswick over 3,000 years later. <laughs> but it is spontaneous. It is, if you like, an immediate response to the victory that has been won. The way their lives have been changed for the better. Because they look back to the old days in verse 6, the days of jail, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Do you remember 2020? Do you remember the sort of ghost towns? You know, the pictures of the city streets of London, deserted. Just a sense of this isn't as it should be. Well, that's what Israel was like under the Canaanites. A ghost town. People just kept out of the way. They didn't think it was safe. They were trapped and in slavery. But now, with the battle that has been won in Judges chapter 4, all of that has changed. Now, it's the sound of parties in the streets. The ghost town has turned into a place of celebration, and the songs are being sung. And that's the song that we get to listen into. Three different aspects of praise, three different aspects of celebration dotted through the song. Firstly, what's celebrated that we can join in with is the victory of the Lord. The victory of the Lord. You see, who was responsible for the victory that we looked at last night? I mean, Deborah? Barak? Jail. I mean, all of them at one level. But the emphasis in verse 4 is the Lord marching out. The Lord marching out to battle. The Lord coming, who comes from Edom, actually not Israelite territory. He's the king of all the earth. And it's the God of Sinai who's at at the head of the army. Do you remember in Exodus? God meets his people at Mount Sinai. And the mountains quake. He's that sort of God. And he's the God at the head of the army, the one who is fighting the battle for God's people. And you get something slightly mystifying. Sorry, I know I'm jumping around. But move to verse 20. From the heavens the stars fought. 
From their courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. Now, do you ever come across lines in songs and you think to yourself, I've no idea what that means? Well, you know, welcome to Judges 5 verse 20. But, but what seems to be going on is that this battle is not simply an earthly battle. Somehow even the stars and the great rivers are involved. This isn't just a, a battle between human forces. The God of Sinai, the God of Israel, the king of all the earth, he is leading the troops. And that's why when victory is accomplished, the call is, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Can I encourage you with this? As I've just been around over the last 72 hours or so, I've ended up speaking to people in a variety of difficult situations, maybe a a variety of kind of battle-like situations, just family trauma, or some in church situations where you're you're battling for the truth against a tide of falsehood, or for some it is just battling individual temptations that are painful and exhausting. Let me encourage you with this. That where those battles are taking place, the Lord is not a distant observer. He's the one who fights for his people. He's the one who has promised to be with us. And he is the God of Sinai, before whom the mountains quake. He's the God of Galilee, who can say to the storm, quiet, be still. He's the God of Jerusalem, who can say, death, where is your victory? Our God reigns and he's at the front of the battle. He's not a distant observer. And I want to encourage us with that because so often we can end up reviewing our lives simply at a human level, simply looking at the human situations, forgetting our divine leader. Remember reading about what happened in Wales around the, uh, the turn of the 20th century in 1904? There's a great revival. Uh, in Wales. Just hundreds of people seemed to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the human leader of that was a guy called Evan Roberts. And yet as Roberts reviewed the revival, he simply said this, I was just an observer of God at work. You know, God was the one doing it all. And in lesser ways, maybe things that fall short of that sort of revival, just as we see individuals turn to the Lord or, or individuals grow in their faith in the Lord Jesus as we see churches that are actually good places to be. We're observers of God at work. He's not a distant observer. And when we see those things, when we see good things happening, doesn't that motivate us to praise the Lord? Because he's the one who's still at work, this God of Sinai, this God of Galilee, this God of Jerusalem. He's the one at the head of the army. And for those of us who are here and feeling pretty discouraged and pretty weary, can I simply encourage you with this thought? Never think of the battle you are in without thinking of God. You're not alone. You're not alone. Jesus, the one who is risen from the dead, says, I am with you always. And so when good things happen, we praise the Lord. And we sing this song to encourage us to keep going in the battle, 
God has not changed. The God of Sinai at the front of the pack. But the second aspect of this song probably does feel a little bit different. And it's the victory of God's people. The victory of the Lord's people. You see it dotted throughout the song. It's there in verse 2. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. And then you get it in verse 7 and 8. The Lord raises up Deborah. And until the Lord raised up Deborah, people were terrified. They were staying in their houses. They weren't going about the streets. But, but when Deborah rose, things changed. God raised her up, and suddenly people are willing to engage in the battle. Verse 9, my heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. God is raising up those who will fight for Israel. And then you do get a definite section within verses 13 to 18. Because within verses 13 to 18, what you get, if you like, is a roll of honor. Those who are willing to fight with the people of God. And so you have Ephraim mentioned uh, in verse 14. You get Benjamin was with the people who followed you. You got from Machia, the people came down. Zebulun is mentioned. Uh, And you get Issachar mentioned. The prince of Issachar, verse 15, were with Deborah. And so if you like, you get a roll of honor. Do you remember there was a battle that was fought with the various soldiers before Jael got involved? And that's celebrated here, all those who participated. Two tribes in particular worthy of respect. You see this in verse 18. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terrace fields. In other words, to go into this battle wasn't a picnic and it wasn't a day out. To go into this battle was people talking to each other saying, do you reckon we're going to get out alive or not? Well, this was a costly battle to engage in. And so they're celebrated. Thanks is given to the Lord for the way in which they fought. But there's also within this section what you might call a role of shame, a role of dishonor. End of verse 15. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. And you get the impression there was quite a lot of discussion within the tribe of Reuben. Do you reckon we should go and fight? You know, what, what do you reckon? Should we go and fight? Should we not go and fight? Well, you know, the sheep need sort of looking after. And the, the, the quite pleasant pastures, we hear quite nice music within the pastures. Yeah, let's stay. And you get Gilead and Asher and Dan mentioned similarly. They stay around the coast. To be fair, it was a further journey. Too far, really, to go and help the people of God in battle. Worst of all is Meroz in verse 23. Meroz is quite mystifying. We've no idea where it is. But curse Meroz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly. Why? Because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. And so in this middle section of the song, what you see is this contrast between those who are willing to fight the battle, even that potential cost they risk their own lives, and those who kept out of the battle, 
who weren't willing to fight, who weren't willing to help. Now, I reckon there are a couple of ways that is profoundly relevant to us. Firstly, praise God for those you battle alongside. Praise God for those you battle alongside. I'll never forget my first experience of being on a mission team. It was the uh, summer of 1996, and I was 19. And there was a team of about 20 of us from different countries, and we were doing outreach to international students in Oxford, led by what became Friends International. And in the morning, there'd be training and there'd be prayer. In the afternoon, we'd give flyers on the streets to international students. Flying on the streets is torture for people like me, but anyway, we did it. And then in the evening, there was a, a sort of cafe, lots of English conversation and a, a kind of optional Bible study. And we worked hard for those two weeks. And we saw people from countries where they would never get to hear about Jesus coming along and being introduced to Jesus. We saw some people coming along to the Bible study night after night after night, one or two, I think, by the end of those two weeks, professing faith in Jesus. And I forget the moment where we closed the cafe on the last night and we just had a prayer time and we're thanking God and spontaneously it just lifted up from to God be the glory. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. And we just praise the Lord for the sheer privilege of battling together. And that's kind of Judges 5 actually. It's God's people, they're working together and you want to praise the Lord or... Well, again, I think the church had the privilege of pastoring, and you know, occasionally we'd have the, a baptism of somebody who'd become a Christian. And on one level, of course, that was a celebration of what God had done, because God had been at work in that person's life. But I'd often look round. You know, there was the friends who'd first invited them to church. And when that person came to church, there were the people who'd sort of chatted to them and welcomed them. And there was the person who spent quite a lot of time answering that individual's questions. And then around the place were those who actually hadn't participated in getting to know the person, but they knew what was going on and they were praying. And you just think, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for those times when we get to do things like that together. I don't know about you, I want to praise the Lord for those who've worked so hard to put on a convention like this. And you see just the hard work, the costly sacrifice that goes into that. But here's a great example for us. Can I say a word to those of us who are tempted to be discouraged, maybe tempted to be slightly pessimistic by temperament? You know we're different personalities, aren't we? You know, some see the cup half full, some see it half empty, some can't even see the cup. Uh, and, you know, we're all slightly different personalities, Here is where a discipline of praise can be useful. Can I encourage you, if you are discouraged tonight, why don't you pursue the discipline of forming your own role of honor? Of just those as you look back who've influenced you and pointed you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who've served alongside you. Those in your church who are a blessing to you. You know, as, as I was preparing, I just ended up forming my own list and it was long of friends down the year, the church had the privilege of pastoring, who was such a joy to me. Praise the Lord. And maybe you just want to do that. It's unusual, this, isn't it? 
You know, in our churches, we probably don't have a sort of second verse of a song which features various names from people in the church. But that's what's going on here. Better to form your own role of honor rather than your own role of shame. (laughs) But do do it. Praise the Lord for brothers and sisters that you get to serve alongside. But of course, the second application of this section is this. Make sure that in the ultimate sense, it is the role of honor that you're pursuing. Because true service is costly, isn't it? You get it, don't you, in verse 18, the people of Zebulun risk their very lives. To serve the Lord isn't always straightforward. It isn't always easy. One of my uh, heroes is the, uh, the pioneer missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. Suffered hugely as he took the gospel to China in the 19th century and spoke at Keswick, actually, towards the end of the 19th century, encouraging people to go with him to China. And in his early years, faced deep loneliness. Actually, some of his team, in fact, some of his family did lose their lives. And he said something which has just stayed with me over the years. Is anything of value in Christ's service that costs little? Now, for most of us, it won't be Zebulun level of risking our lives. But we know that to get involved in taking the gospel to people, to get involved in encouraging others, there'll often be an emotional cost to that. You know, as you spend time with people who are going through difficulties, you end up sharing some of their pain, don't you? There's an emotional cost to loving people well. There will often be a cost in terms of time as we get involved in serving within the church, as we get involved in our local community seeking to witness. That will mean we don't do other things. There's a financial cost. To live as a Christian, to serve our churches, may well mean we don't do other things with our money that we could do. There's always a cost. And I suppose for some of us, the question might be, have we grasped that it is still wartime and not peacetime? Satan is still blinding the eyes of unbelievers. People still need to be rescued. There'll still be temptation to be battled against and to be fought. There are brothers and sisters around the world who are still on the receiving end of Satan's persecution and in prisoner camps. Friends, this is wartime and not peacetime. There is a battle going on. And it might be for some of us tonight, as we think about this song written in the context of war, praising those who participated in the battle. It might be that the Lord's just putting on our heart tonight, yeah, I need to get back into the battle. We don't want to be in a position where we have enough spirituality to keep us happy, but not enough spirituality that's actually costly at times. Because there's a battle to be fought. Can I make one specific application on that? In Ephesians chapter 6, mentioned on Sunday night, Paul talks about the battle. And after he talks about the spiritual armor, he says this, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. Always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray that I may declare the gospel fearlessly. 
And it fits with what we've seen in Judges about the importance of calling on the Lord. To be engaged in battle, to realize that it's wartime, will be in a seriousness in prayer. In C.S. Lewis' Screwtape Letters, you get the, uh, the letter from uh, uh, Wormwood, the senior devil, to, uh, to Wormwood, the junior devil. And he has this line speaking about how to keep the sort of Christian at bay. Do everything you can to keep the patient from praying. That's what Satan wants us to do. Whatever you do, don't let him pray. That might be a call, actually, if I can put it like this, to my generation and younger. I remember a number of years ago now, you know, coming back, it's actually coming back to, to Oxford after a year serving in a church, and the year had been pretty difficult. There was nobody in the small church that I worked in within about 15 years of my age, either older or younger. And I met a, an old lady, I didn't know her at all, and she just asked me, where are you from? And said, we've just finished working in this, this church. What was it like? I said, well, it was quite tough at times. And she looked at me and said, did it put you on your knees? <laughs> Giving the impression that if it did, that was a jolly good thing. I remember just learning from that generation, actually. It might just be for some of us, what we want to go home with, from Keswick with is, it's just a greater decision to say, I really want to participate in the battle. And that might involve a new commitment to prayer. Because I don't know about you, I want to be in the battle so that we can join in the celebration and the praise and that sense of as we're serving God's plans together, as we are God's people together and we're fighting together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But there's one last aspect to this praise, and it's the defeat of the enemy. You see, in the end of Judges 5, there's this contrast between two women. We've seen the contrast between uh, uh, the two people fighting or not fighting. You get Jael brought up again in verse 24. And if you like, her acts are played out in slow motion. He asked for water. She brought him milk. Her hand reaches for the tent peg. Her hand reaches for the hammer. She puts the two together. She approaches Sisera's skull. And you know what happens next. But actually, even what happens next is in slow motion. At her feet he sank. He fell. He lay. He was dead. Now, there aren't many songs like that, are there? (laughs) And you might think it's not the most appropriate song for a topic for a praise song. That might change in a moment as we look at Sisera's mum. At one level, this feels heartbreaking. You've got Sisera's mum, and she's peering through the window in verse 28. Why, Why is he so late? What's taking him so long to get back? And there's a sort of pathos to this. She's looking for his chariots to arrive, not knowing that he's already dead. But before you feel too sympathetic towards Sisera and Sisera's mom, listen to the words she consoles herself with. Listen to her reasons why he might be late. 
Are they not finding and dividing the spoils, a woman or two for each man? Well, he's probably late because, well, they're busy assaulting women. And after the assault has finished, well, they'll probably steal some nice clothes from them, and they'll look quite good on me. There aren't many clearer definitions of evil in Scripture, are there? Just the hideous brutality of Sisera and his army. And you get a sense, don't you, of justice. You know, they're trying to take it out on two women per man. And effectively, it's two women who've done Sisera to death, Deborah and Jael. And you almost see the divine justice of it, don't you? I mean, we've had fun in churches, but this is pretty sober. But in the end, one of the reasons I do want to praise the Lord is because justice does finally happen. People like Sisera and his modern equivalents who abuse women and children will not ultimately get away with it. And that is very good news. Stalin, Pol Pot, Vladimir Putin, they will not ultimately get away with it. And that is good news. And soberly we praise the Lord for that because what happens to Sisera is intended to be a picture. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. And of course, the one who lies behind all of those things will one day be plunged into the lake of fire and the cry will go up, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And the final defeat of evil is a good reason to praise the Lord. And I hope we've seen that Judges 5 is a good song to sing. A song to encourage us in the battle. God will triumph. God's people will be engaged in that triumph as they fight. And evil will be defeated. It's a good song to sing. Now, one day we'll sing it perfectly. On the day of final victory. On the final victory for God and his people. And the final defeat of all that is evil. And it gets me to imagine what that day will be like. I always found it moving. It probably won't ever happen again now. But do you remember watching those D-Day commemorations? And there were the victims as they were getting older with their medals. And they would talk of the battles they fought. And the victories they won and the freedom that resulted. I suspect that's what the new creation will be like. We'll get there having fought battles against sin, against Satan, against temptation. We'll have fought together. And we'll arrive in the new creation and tell of battles won. And triumph achieved. When the Queen died last year, there were various clips that were were shown. The one that surprised me most, actually, was a, a video of her speaking in 1957. And in that video, she quoted John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, actually the second part of Pilgrim's Progress. And the words of Mr. Valiant for Truth as he faced death. My marks and scars I carry with me to be a witness to me that I have fought his battles who now will be my rewarder. 
and the trumpet sounded for him on the other side. There is a war to be fought. There's a battle to be won, but the result is not in doubt. And as we fight, one day we'll be there. And all eyes will turn to the ultimate victor, the lamb who was slain. And we will praise him forever and ever. Because, verse 31, may all who love you be like the sun, which rises in his strength. Are you looking forward to the day when we'll sing this song perfectly? It's going to be quite good. It's going to be a glorious day. And so, can I encourage us to sing it now? Can I say to those who are feeling discouraged at the moment, you're in the midst of the battle and it's hard work, can I encourage you, pursue the discipline of praise so that one day the spontaneity of praise will come. Pursue the discipline of praise by remembering you are not alone. The God of Sinai and Galilee and Jerusalem is with you in the battle. And pursue the discipline of praise by remembering you're not alone because there are others who are fighting with you. And one day ultimate victory will be achieved. If you're discouraged, pursue the discipline of praise and celebration. And if you feel... Feel a bit like a spectator in this battle? Can I say the greatest celebration of praise comes as you participate, as you throw yourself in? It might be that you've arrived this week and there's just something you know the Lord might be calling you to and you know it's costly. And uh, Throw yourself in. Throw yourself into the battle. Throw yourself into the war until the day when we see him. And we know that victory has been accomplished and Satan is defeated and we will praise him forever and ever and ever. Let's pray together. Just a moment of quiet. It might be that actually even now you want to start the discipline of praise. Just thanking the Lord for his triumph, and for those you get to serve alongside. We praise you. Lord God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you as the one who is that the head of the battle is the one who triumphs. We worship you, Lord Jesus, the victor over death, over sin, over Satan. And we praise you that now you call us to fight within that battle. As we pray, as we put sin to death, thank you so much for the privilege of fighting, not on our own, but alongside brothers and sisters. Praise you for them. And praise you, Lord, that you are the God of justice who will ensure that evil is defeated and Satan will be utterly destroyed. And so, Lord, keep us praising you. Keep us praising you for your glorious victory until the day when, with perfect voices, we praise you forever as we worship and adore you. Amen.